Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. Um, But just as a reminder as to where we've been and where we're going next week and where we're going tonight, um, we need to understand that the book of Ruth is the perfect example of God's redeeming love and points to our true and perfect redeemer, Jesus. Okay? It's the big idea of the book of Ruth that I want you to remember no matter what. That's the big takeaway each and every week. Um, But this week, then also specifically, Here's the number one important thing that I want you to be looking for as we read Ruth chapter 3, and that is this. Uh, We are redeemed and are moving forward, okay? That would be a better title than last week's title for this week, okay? We are redeemed and are moving forward. Um, Thus far, we've looked at being redeemed in the midst of our suffering. We've looked at being redeemed in our luck, as it were, in God's providence. And this week, we are being redeemed in our moving forward And we have some old and some new implications looking at Ruth 3, okay? Um, And the first of which you'll remember from last week, and that is this, the importance of acting faithfully even when it does not feel like we're acting in faith. And that might sound a little bit confusing if you weren't here last week, but let's look and see what's going on here in Ruth. Then Naomi Her mother-in-law said, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Now this word rest, this is the same idea of this settled security. Um, Being safe and being safe for a long period of time. And this is exactly what Naomi was wanting for Ruth back in chapter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. I'll just read chapter 9. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. So from the very beginning of this story, Naomi has been wanting one thing for Ruth, and that is for her to have settled security, to be in a place where she is safe for as long as Naomi is going to be alive and as long as Ruth is going to be alive. And Ruth and Naomi again says, this is what I want most for you, okay? Um, And so this is where um, we see Naomi starting to come up with a plan for Ruth. Now, mothers in the room, um, I know that most of us have had plans for our kids at some point or another. Fathers in the rooms, I'm not excluding you. We have plans. We try to make plans work. And sometimes the plans are the best thing for our children. Sometimes they're the best things for us. But oftentimes when we read this story, we look at Naomi's character from a very worldly perspective, right? And we say, oh, here's another (laughs) mother-in-law just meddling in things, okay? That's not what Naomi's doing here. It's not what she's doing. Uh, From the beginning of the story, she has wanted one thing for Ruth, and that is for her to find rest. That is for her to have a good husband that's going to take care of her. Um, And then, secondarily, for the family name to be carried on. 
And so this is what Naomi is hoping for her. And she says, is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor, uh, which means that he's separating the wheat from the chaff, okay? Uh, we don't have to go into detail except for to say that there's parts that are good for eating in the grain and other parts that aren't good for eating, and Boaz is getting rid of the parts that aren't good for eating, okay? And because, who knows, maybe there's a good wind, not too fast, not too strong, it's a nice night, it's the end of harvest, Boaz is doing this tonight, okay? He's separating the good parts from the bad parts. And um, you can read into that what you will as far as his relationship with Ruth is thus far. Um, the other interesting thing that we're going to see here in Ruth chapter 3, as well as we move into Ruth chapter 4, that this is all happening in one day. Okay? Um, at the beginning of the story, there were years passing while Naomi and her husband Elimelech were in Moab, and then there was time passing as they traveled, and then there was days passing and months passing as Ruth worked in harvest. But now, things are going to be moving very quickly for Ruth, okay? For two people that aren't used to um, God's big plan for their lives becoming clear for them quickly, that's all changing right now, okay? Um, so the idea of acting faithfully, even when we do not feel like we're acting in faith, this is exactly what Naomi's doing. Um, she is continuing to move forward with a plan that she see, sees God having for Ruth's life, okay? And we're going to leave that there for now, and we're going to continue and come back to it, okay? Um, except for to say this, that uh, there's a good book out there written by a guy named Kevin DeYoung, and the book is called Just Do Something, okay? Just Do Something. And uh, I love this book. It's a little book. It's a short book. You could probably pick it up at Coom Books or maybe even Bargain Books sometimes, but simply say this. It's about finding God's will for your life. And basically, he takes all the mysticism out of this, okay? He takes all the mystery out of it, and he boils it down to a couple of things. You know, if, if you're not sinning, if you're not breaking God's law or the law of your land, <laughs> if you're not um, doing something that's going to hurt someone else and you can find uh, God saying that it's okay in Scripture, it's within God's will for your life and you should just go do it instead of sitting around and waiting for a fleece to get wet, okay? <laughs> and so this is the big idea of this book and this is exactly what Naomi is doing. Um, but as, as I was thinking about us as a church, and as I was thinking about ways that we can know God's will for our lives, uh, an old sermon came to mind, okay? Now, some of you were here for this, and some of you weren't, but we're going to be diving back into daily doctrines here for just a second. Um, and in daily doctrines, we looked at what we do as the church, and we said that there were several things that we do as the church while we gather together uh, and while we're separate that are defining who we are, all right? Um, and they were just simple things. And we said that God uses these simple things to grow and to strengthen us, more specifically, together, all right? And the first of this is the word preached, exactly what we're doing here today. It's one of the small ways that we can remain faithful 
to what Scripture says we should be doing. And also, there's a promise in that that we will grow and that we will be strengthened together as a group of people. Okay? Um, also, the word prayed, okay? that we should be studying God's word in such a way that we know it, right? That it's pouring out of our hearts and it's showing up in our prayer life. Uh, more specifically, knowing who God is and what it is that he would desire for us by what he has said in his word. Also, the word used in praise. Okay? When we stand up together on a Sunday afternoon and we sing together, we are doing something that God has called us to in his word. And it might not seem that impressive some weeks. Mark, you did a great job today not saying that. Um, talking about me. Uh, it, it might not be that impressive some weeks. And yet it's something that we've been called to do. And also, in doing it, we are encouraging one another. We are strengthening one another. And then we also talked about the word being pictured among us. And in that, we talked about baptism and the Lord's Supper. And that these are pictures of what God has done for us as a people and as individuals. And that we are to do those two things together. Um, call people to be baptized, right? And we should be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And so when we do all of these things, here's one thing that I can tell you. We are growing together. But not only are we growing together, we're learning what it is that God wants for us. Okay? So as we're gathering together and as we're doing those things, um, know that you are learning more about who God is. And in saying that, let's take it back to the book of Ruth now and just say it like this. We will know what are the things that God wants us to do and what God does not want us to do. Maybe not always picture perfect. We might not always have the perfect image for our lives and what the next step is, but we will know the difference between right and wrong. And we will know the difference between um, things that God wants us to do and what God does not want us to do. All right, moving on to verse 2 then. Uh, or verse 3, rather. This is, these are the orders that Naomi gives to Ruth. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, and then go uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And Ruth said, All that you say, I will do. Right? Now, this sounds a little bit strange, okay? It does. Um, that she's supposed to pretty herself up, smell nice, wait till the guy has had something to drink after a work day, and go talk to him then, okay? <laughs> right? So in this situation, it is Ruth's responsibility to, um, to go to Boaz and ask for his hand in marriage, all right? Uh, we're not going to go back to Deuteronomy or Genesis and look at this idea of a Leverite marriage, but this is what uh, we talked about last week, but this is what Naomi is saying when she says, isn't Boaz our redeemer? Right? It's called a family redeemer. And this family redeemer, if someone dies, this family redeemer is supposed to marry the widow right? and call that widow's children his own um, in the sense that he's taking care of them but then those children carry on the name of the widow's dead husband, okay? 
Um, and so Naomi wants her daughter to be settled. She wants her to have a good husband that's going to take care of her. And this is what she's encouraging her to do. Go, get yourself looking nice. And then what? Wait till he's drunk and <laughs> go wind up at the man's feet? Okay, this should raise some red flags, okay? We're not going to ask our daughters to go do this, I don't think, right? Okay, um, wait till he's drunk and then take advantage of him, okay? This is not what we encourage our daughters to do. And just so you know, that's not what Naomi is encouraging her daughter to do either, all right? Naomi doesn't know what's going to happen, but what she's asking her to do is to go place yourself at his feet, wait till he's worked hard, um, that he's enjoyed a good meal, that he's literally experienced a day of the good life, as it were, and then ask for his hand in marriage. Ask if he will redeem you. Okay? Um, and we're going to see how this plays out. Verse 6, So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of a heap of grain, and then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lie down and lay down. Um, and so she's done just what her mother-in-law has asked her to do. She's uncovered his feet. She's submitted himself, herself to him. Okay. Now, um, here's one interesting thing that we're seeing that it seems as though Okay? Now, Pastor Dave and I talk about this all the time, how people are always trying to whitewash certain parts of Scripture. They're trying to make it cleaner than it really is. Okay? Now, we could go to certain places in Scripture where there are words used artistically but are very clearly saying what's actually happening. Okay? If we wanted to go back to Genesis 38 and look at the story of Tamar, uh, we would see some very specific language about what was happening, okay? <laughs> and that's not the kind of language that we see here. Um, so let's just try to paint the scene here for a second. Uh, Boaz is working at the threshing floor. Naomi has ordered Ruth to go and just see where he's laying. Why? Uh, a couple things that we could say. Perhaps there are other people working at the threshing floor and sleeping at the threshing floor. And Naomi does not want Ruth to go and to propose in marriage to the wrong man. Okay? That's the most likely thing that's going on here. Or maybe it's just so dark she wouldn't be able to see. Uh, but either way, uh, we don't want to necessarily think the worst of these people. Okay? Because we've already seen Naomi as a faithful person going through very hard and desperate times, but a faithful person nonetheless. We already know that Ruth is a worthy woman and that Boaz is a worthy man, okay? So we don't want to think the worst of our main characters here, okay? At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. All right, now, Ruth has already proven herself, right? We saw it last week. She's a hard worker. She's going to continue to prove herself in this passage. Um, but we also see here that she replies by saying that she is his servant. 
Now, if you remember from last week, she said, you've treated me like a servant, even though I'm not your servant. In fact, over and over again in chapter 2, Ruth uh, references herself as a foreigner, as a Moabite, right? And the author references her as a foreigner, as a Moabite, someone that might very well have not been taken care of and looked after, but instead she was taken care of. She was looked after. But Ruth, in a sense, has promoted herself here. She's no longer a foreigner. She's saying, I am your servant. Uh, Now, in the Hebrew language, this would have been like her saying, I'm ready to be married. I'm able to be married. Okay? Um, And she can say that because we know that she has proven herself not only as a faithful worker, but also now as a faithful Jew. Okay? She has become Jewish and she has shown herself to be faithful in that. Um, Also, the the word servant here is not a slave servant. It's it's a maid servant, or rather a woman that works in some other family's house. Okay, And so that's exactly what she is, and she's offering herself to Boaz as someone who is uh, old enough to work on her own and old enough to be married, able to be married at this point. But it's interesting there in verse 9, what she says is, spread your wings over your servant. Now, if you recall from chapter 2, there was very similar language used in verses 11 and 12 when Boaz is talking to Ruth. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land land and came to a place that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Boaz is saying, you've already found the right wings to take refuge under. But he continues on to say that you've done something greater than you can imagine here by taking care of a widow that is a part of my family. And I can never repay you enough. I can't take care of you enough. In fact, Yahweh is indebted to you. right? And so Boaz is literally praying there in verse 12 that God would reward her more than Boaz could imagine. And doesn't know at that point how it's going to happen. But here in verse 9 of chapter 3, we're learning just how that's going to happen. And in fact... Ruth is, in a sense, asking Boaz to be the answer to his own prayer for her, okay? She's saying, look, uh, I have found refuge under the Lord's wings, and now I want to find refuge and safety and rested security under your wings. All right. Verse 10, and he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after the young men, whether poor or rich. It's very strange what Boaz is saying there, at least when you first read it, that you've made this last kindness better than the first, right? Um, and what is the first kindness we just reread? It's the kindness that Ruth showed to Naomi. Um, but this second kindness is just like we learned last week, that Ruth has remained faithful. Remained faithful to Naomi and remain faithful not to go out and just try to find some man to get married to so that she'll be taken care of. 
Um, she's trying to take care of Naomi. She's trying to take care of the affairs of her past husband. Um, she's trying to take care of her family for generations now. And this is what Boaz is, is saying is a greater kindness than even what she did for Naomi. Um, that she has saved herself and that she has, in a sense, then saved her entire family. Right? So, Ruth is a story of redeemers. Right? And we've, we've already seen Naomi be a redeemer. We've seen Ruth be a redeemer. We've seen Ruth be a redeemer again, in a sense, Boaz is saying. But now, there's an opportunity for another redeemer. And that's going to be Boaz. All right? So let's see what he has to say. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. All right, and so this takes us back to another point from last week, but we're going to use it again this week and say uh, one of the things that we're learning here in Ruth chapter 3 is the importance of being known as a worthy or honorable person. All right. uh, Naomi knew this about Boaz, and we got a picture of it of Ruth in, in chapter 2, but here Boaz is saying everyone knows that you are a worthy woman. What is a worthy woman? Proverbs 31, all right? Now, before I get too long-winded, I just have to say it like this. Uh, when Tara and I were at university, we went to this gospel concert, okay? And uh, one of my friends was there. I'll just say it like this, okay? Uh, we were a small group of white people in a room full of black people, okay? It was a great concert. Now, one of my friends that was there, very white, okay? In the sense that he was a dork, I mean. Uh, <laughs> but he could sing really well, all right? So they had an open mic time. And Gabe went up there, and man, he was great, okay? And then they had like an open mic testimony time. And so people were coming up and giving testimony about what the Lord had been doing in their lives. And then a young woman stepped up and said, Woo, I don't know who that man is that sang in the back, but I need you to know I'm a P31. What is she talking about? And then all of a sudden, she starts listing all the attributes of a worthy woman from Proverbs 31, okay? <laughs> okay, so she's declaring herself as a P31. So that's a little inside joke that Tara and I have um, now that whenever we meet someone that we really like and it's like she's, she's not married yet, we want that person to find a good husband, we say, got a P31 over here, okay? And so this is what Boaz is saying. You're a P31, and everyone knows it, okay? Um, and now it is true that I am a redeemer, verse 12. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Okay. Ruth stepped out on a limb here. Okay? They're using the Jewish law that God has set in place to help take care of widows and family names and land and all of this. And they're using it very creatively, all right? This is not typical that a Moabite woman would be asking for a Jewish man's hand in marriage and that this would be to carry on the name of an Israelite family. This is very strange, all right? And yet, um, Boaz says, I appreciate everything that you're doing here, but I, I can't do it. There's another redeemer who actually has claim to you as a wife before I do. 
Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. All right, now again, we don't want any ambiguity about what's happening here. All right? Um, in the Hebrew, a lot of the words that we're using here are, for lack of better terms, risque. Okay? Um, the fact that she would go to a man in the middle of the night, that she would lay down at his feet and offer herself up to him, that uh, he says, stay here for tonight. Uh, we could read um, sexual things into that. All right? But as we get to verse 13 here, uh, twice Boaz uses a word that means, just like we saw in chapter 1, when Ruth says, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Literally, where you spend the night, I will be spending the night as well. And so throughout all of this, you see that Ruth and Boaz are attracted to one another. And this is the point in the story where there has been sexual tension, for lack of better terms. They are two unmarried people that now decide that they want to be married, okay? <laughs> this is a healthy and a normal thing. And yet, we see here in verse 13 that Boaz does not say, okay, come over here and be my wife right now. He says, no, lodge here tonight with me, okay? You're going to lodge here at the threshing floor. Literally, you're just going to spend the night here. There are lots of other words in the Bible that would mean other things, okay? <laughs> um, and so that language is absent, and we know that because these are two honorable people um, and that uh, God is going to bless this marriage, that these two honorable people are not doing dishonorable things right now. So she laid his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another, and he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Who's he talking to here? Uh, he, he's talking to Ruth. It's possible that he's also talking to other workers who were there that have witnessed what's going on, and this would be the gossip all over town, right? <laughs> um, because everyone already knew about Ruth, what she had done. Uh, Boaz learned about her actions with Naomi from other people and also learned from other people that she's an honorable woman. But moving on to verse 15, and he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. Right? And here we see the importance of remaining faithful, which is again a repeat from last week. But we have Ruth and Boaz remaining faithful, uh, both to what God has called them to and also to uh, each other. Boaz is not taking advantage of Ruth, taking advantage of her position as a foreigner and a widow. He's honoring her. Um, and then moving on to verse 16. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Now, you can imagine Naomi, right? She had to wait all night for an answer after her big plan to, to use the Jewish law to the, to the extent to which it could be used. Um, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn about how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest 
but we'll settle, settle the matter today. All right. So, as we look there at the end of chapter 3, just a couple more observations that we need to make for tonight. Um, first of all, this grain that's been given to, to, to Ruth. Um, now, last week we saw that she had about 22 liters, a whole lot of grain that she had to carry back to her house. And Boaz did it again. I mean, he's a, he's a worthy man, and yet he doesn't carry the grain back to her house for her. I'm not going to pick on him too much, okay? But to say this, that this grain that he gave to her is seed, okay? It's seed. And uh, in, in the Hebrew here, the picture is very clear that Naomi realizes that this is seed, Okay? And that uh, Boaz is promising to Naomi that no matter what, the seed of your family is going to carry on. Uh, either I'm going to marry her or someone else will. And he promises that. And he also promises that not only will I do it um, if the other guy doesn't, but if I don't, let me be cursed by God. Okay? So he's actually wishing punishment would come down upon him if he does not remain a worthy man and a faithful man. But here's the last thing that we see as a takeaway, another important thing that we see here in Ruth chapter 3. The importance of carrying out God's will. All right, now, God does that, right? Um, when I wrote that down, I thought, wow, wait, that's a little bit offensive, so let's take it to the next level and make it even more offensive. <laughs> uh, the importance of carrying out God's will and allowing ourselves to become the answers to our own prayers. All right? This is exactly what Boaz is doing. Uh, he desired the same thing that Naomi desired for Ruth and for Naomi. And uh, he desired that God would take care of her. And now the opportunity has come up that God is going to take care of Ruth. And Boaz could be the person to do it. So, uh, now look. Uh, when I say that, we could take that many ways, and many people preach that many different ways, right? Uh, go out and grab life by the horns. <laughs> go out and make opportunities for yourself. Uh, work as hard as you can, and you're going to prosper no matter what. Um, those things aren't true, okay? and those things aren't always necessarily God's will for our lives. But here, in this passage, we see very clearly because of God's law being a guiding principle for Naomi and trying to figure out just who's the right redeemer for Ruth to marry, um, and also God's law uh, leading Ruth into a life of becoming a P31, a worthy woman, and Boaz being a worthy man, um, we know that these three individuals are seeking to go out and to live according to God's will. And when God puts opportunities before them, they're going to take advantage of those opportunities. So the question that we could ask ourselves then is, what opportunities do we have before us? Uh, I had a really good conversation with a friend this weekend uh, that, uh, look, I don't always know what I'm doing. Okay? I tell Terry this all the time. And she knows it, but she also doesn't like to hear that, right? <laughs> uh, 
Um, but the reality is that I don't know what I'm doing all the time. And just like we talked about last week, that sometimes we are just feel like we're stepping out into darkness and hoping that we find our feet and that we don't trip over something. Um, and sometimes we can see this as luck. When this is God's providence, God ordaining our lives for us. And uh, so what opportunities do we have before us right now to be faithful to? The leadership camp this week is one of those opportunities that we have before us to be faithful to. There are 24 students coming that we need to be praying for. Do we know that any of these students coming will uh, be saved? Do we know that any of these students coming will have family members that aren't going to another church and need a church to go to? No, we, we don't know those things. And yet God has put us in a place right now to be faithful to the tasks that are before us. And this leadership camp is one of those tasks. And as we think about ourselves as a church and what it means for us to be looking forward at places that we can be faithful and ministries that we can be a part of, how are we going to know what those things should be? And I'm going to say that there's just a couple of ways that we'll know that those things, uh, what should be on the forefront of our minds when it comes to ministry and serving others and evangelizing and outreach. Um, and here's how we're going to know, okay? Uh, the word being preached, the word being prayed, the word being used in praise, the word being pictured. Okay? I'm going to say those things over and over and over again, but these are little things that we've been called to be faithful in and when we're faithful in these little things, there are going to be other things that arise. And we're going to say, there's no reason why I should not be faithful in this next task. Evangelizing someone, inviting someone to church, whatever it is. Okay? So as we move forward, be keeping always in the forefront of your mind, uh, how can I be an answer to my prayers? Okay? <laughs> because that's, God has given you a task. And sometimes you are just going to be shooting in the dark, okay? We are just shooting in the dark. Moving here to the Waldorf School, I think was a great idea still. But we're actually still just shooting in the dark as well. That's a comfortable place for me. Um, but that's also because uh, as much as I can, I try to devote myself to God's word. Right? The preaching of it, the praying of it, praising with it, the picturing of it. And so let's do that together. Be faithful in those small things. Let's grow in those small things together. Be strengthened in those small things so that when God puts larger things before us, we can be faithful. Thanks for listening. And remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.